Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today we're speaking with Jean Denis, the head of engineering at Plaid. My fintech startup uses Plaid, and it's a super cool company. Jean and I are about to have a very fun conversation discussing his journey. Just before we get into it, let me tell you about the courses Wall Street Oasis has to help you prepare and crush interviews. From investment banking, hedge funds, private equity, and management consulting, their courses have all of the info you possibly could need. Check them out and say podcast is where you heard about it. I've been watching the U.S. get stomped by Europe in the Ryder Cup this weekend. I was upset that I wasn't going to be able to see much of it since Paris is nine hours ahead of me. But thanks to my beautiful daughter waking up at four the past couple of mornings, I've gotten to see a lot of it. The application to Y Combinator is due today. Honestly, our answers to some of these questions feel a little bit rushed, but Applying to YC is the same as anything else. I don't think it's very much about what you write down on the application, more so about who you get to back channel for you. Like trying to get a banking job from a non-target, filling out an application on morganstanley.com isn't going to get you very far. If you have solid conversations with people in a group and can get them to vouch for you and you can get yourself an interview, then boom, You've got your foot in the door. Now it's on you to get the job. Same thing here. Forging relationships with YC-backed entrepreneurs and connected investors. We'll see if we can get that interview. I'll keep you posted. Okay, Jean, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me out. I'm really excited. Yeah. So I know you because you're the head of engineering at a company called Plaid and my fintech startup uses Plaid. And I think a lot of people in the finance fintech world know what Plaid is. It's a big company. You've done really well. Um, but for everyone who doesn't know or is not familiar, I'd love to hear what Plaid is, and then we'll get into who you are. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so Plaid is a, we're, we're a platform company. We kind of think of ourselves as the AWS of fintech. Uh, and our, you know, our main goal is to make it very easy for developers to build on top of the financial system. Um, you know, for, for historical reasons in the U.S., there are about 10,000 banks, 10,000 financial institutions, and they don't, they don't really provide an easy way 
for like consumers to share their financial data to empower apps like Venmo or, or Robinhood or you know Square Cash or Acorns, Coinbase, Lending Club, you, you name it. And so, you know, the insight of the founders of Plaid was that if you built like one really simple interface on top of, you know, every single financial institution, you would enable a, a whole bunch of innovation in fintech. Uh, and you know, that that's the story of Plaid. And honestly, I, there's it, you'd be hard pressed to to name uh, like a, a fintech company today that's not in some way relying on us to interface with the banks because it almost never makes sense for for someone to build the integrations on their own, considering we're, we're providing them already, right? Like 10,000 banks is just a huge amount of, of integrations that anybody would have to deal with. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a short of where we are today. You know, there's a lot of work yet to be done. (laughs) Finance is very, very complicated and and I'm pretty excited to, you know, for the next four or five years of my life to help, to help build this out. That's, that's awesome. So just one more question on Plaid, how it works. So you, sign into Venmo, you're, you want to pay someone money, and then it says link your bank account. And instead of having to put in your bank account number and routing number, you select your bank, Wells Fargo, and then you use your username and password to sign in. That's basically the gist of it? Yeah, that's us. That's what we do. I mean, the user interface is, is tiny, tiny. It's Whenever you encounter that flow where they ask you to select your bank and sign into it, that's, sign into it, that's effectively us. But in the background... There's a whole, there's a whole, there's a whole lot of work that happens. So, for example, we, you know, we have to connect with the bank. That means we have to have, you know, a, a relationship or an API or a way to, to to contact them on behalf of the user. We get very raw data from the bank that we then have to clean and enhance. So we 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 normalize the data. We add like the location of the stores you shop to. We like do a whole bunch of stuff to it that makes it useful to the end player. You know, so like a a really good example is you know if you're trying to get a loan. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's useful for them to have your transaction history. If you're connecting with Venmo, you know, all you need to do is to be able to transfer money back and forth, and so that's only the data that we provide. Um, but yeah, there's you know, some of the banks out there are, are are fantastic from you know a security perspective, from uh from you know even like a user interface perspective. They have great branches, they have great customer service. Often, one thing that is not great is is kind of the the decade in which they built their computer systems. So there's a lot of work integrating with rather uh, ancient uh, parts of the technology stack, which is actually a really fun challenge, like technically, um, but uh, it's definitely a challenge. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I see it. It's a highly regulated industry. It's a very, very old, antiquated, as you say. So cool. All right. So now we got an understanding of Plaid. That was quick, three minutes. Now let's get a longer, hopefully longer than three minutes, understanding of who you are, because I think you have a pretty interesting background. You know, you're the head of engineering, you're a software developer, but you weren't always a software engineer, right? You started your career off very, very different in a very different field. So I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear how you got your start. Yeah, I actually, I actually moved back. I started, I started as an engineer, and then you're right. I, I was a lawyer for for about four years of my life, uh, and then slowly after that, got back into engineering in a very like not not really in a uh, in a direct line way. So um, yeah, the you know I've been coding since I was a since I was a kid. Uh, my I'm fortuitous in that my parents you know got me a, a computer in in the 1980s and didn't just let me play video games on it. Kind of my dad, you know, forced me to kind of learn to do something constructive with it. And the thing that I latched onto was coding. And, you know, I, like in high school, I was, I was definitely not 
I was very far from the most popular kid, probably the least popular kid. Uh, and I spent a lot of my time at home uh, building software that would play uh, something called a MUD uh, for me. MUDs were like text-based role-playing games. Um, so that was my that was my intro to computing. Uh, and you know, I studied computer science in college not because I ever asked myself a question about you know that's what I wanted to have a career into. It was just because it was something that I was good at, and I was I, you know I didn't really have the maturity at the time to think about what my life would be like afterwards. Um, and, you know, graduating college in 2000, I directly went to work for kind of some startups during the internet bubble. And for anyone who graduated that year, you know, you literally got to work uh, in like, you know, April or May of, of that year. And just very promptly, you could feel the tremors of the internet bubble starting to crash. Uh, and like my first, my first like professional experience as a developer it was very good from a people perspective, but really terrible from uh, like just the economy and what happened to the company. So, you know, I was, I was working at the shop and like not three months after I joined, uh, the founders let go literally half of the team. And the only reason I stayed on as an engineer, frankly, is that was cheaper, right? I was like straight out of college. And you know, at the time, you definitely didn't get paid six digits when, when you had a CS degree. So, you know, I, after that experience, I kind of I kind of started to think a lot about whether being an engineer is what I wanted to be. And not for any good reason, right? Just because that first experience had been bad and I didn't have the perspective to think about, you know, well, that just happens, right? Bubbles burst, like the economy doesn't always go up, but I, I didn't think of it that way. I thought about it like, oh my God, like, you know, this is, I, I never want to be somewhere where people are being let go, where the, the product is not making any money, where there's no traction whatsoever. Um, and so effectively over the, the, you know, after that first experience, I, I decided I want to do something totally different. And I decided that, you know, I'd, I'd always enjoyed history. And I'd always enjoyed using the other side of my brain kind of intellectually. It's like, well, you know, I, I didn't take classes in any of that stuff in college and I wish I had. Why don't I do something that gives me like a broader exposure to, um, you know, to a non-pure engineering way of approaching the world. And uh, that, that's why I went to, that's why I went to law school. Um, it's actually a little more convoluted. I actually want to get a master's in history, but I was dissuaded by some of my parental units because they thought there would be no job at the end of that. Right. Are your parents lawyers? Uh, no, no, neither one of them is. My older brother is though, you know, and you always, you, you, you're my, you always aim to be the, the cooler older brother in some way, shape or form. Um, yeah. So, okay. I, I, you know, I went to law school. I was, I was, I was very lucky. Uh, I went to a very good law school. Uh, I, I very much enjoyed law school, like in a purely intellectual way. For me, it was, I think it's what a lot of, uh, a lot of what people experience in college is you, you know, you take classes in, in a lot of subjects. You kind of meet people with different backgrounds, have different interests. Like I really got that out of, out of law school. So um, I was going to Harvard Law and Harvard Law makes it really easy to take classes in other departments. Uh, so I took, you know, some I took some philosophy classes. I took some history classes. I took some econ classes. I had like a kind of really broad set of, of experiences there that I hadn't had, frankly, in college where I just focused on, on computer science. Um, and I think most importantly, I met a really interesting set of people in law school who today are careers that are, you know, extremely different than, you know, what I'm doing now in, in Silicon Valley as, a, as an engineer. Um, right. I would have... I would ass- go ahead. I was just going to say, I would assume most of them are, are still lawyers. Uh, no, it's, it's actually less than 50%. Um, but like some of them are filmmakers. Some of them are like in policy working for the government. Well, yeah, not so much in the current administration, but uh, they were in the previous one. 
Uh, I have definitely friends who are like litigators or lawyers of some, um, yeah, uh, I've actually two, yeah, two friends who's a, who's a kind of a, like a journalist in Europe. So it, it's just, you know, pe- people, uh, a bunch of people that do like nonprofit work. Um, it, it's, you know, it's just uh, like, like law school, law school opens a lot of doors. I, I think the truth about being like a corporate lawyer or a litigator is that uh, like the, those firms are kind of organized like pyramids, right? Uh, it's a little bit like investment banking. You know, there's, uh, like at the firm that I worked at, which is great, I think there's fewer than 10 people who come in and you one year end up becoming partners 10 years later, right? So just naturally, when you have that that kind of a high-pressure environment with like forced attrition, it causes people to reconsider whether it's what they want to do. And so that's why I have a lot of you know friends who've done other things. I think that, by the way, the 50% stat 10 years out of law school is not that uncommon. I, d- I don't know what the stat is, but I've, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same at, at, at most places. Right. Okay. So you kind of have this software development background and then you say, I want to switch it up. I want to challenge a different part of my brain. I want to make money. So you go to law school and then I would assume that this is the common path is out of law school. Then a lot of people go work for those big corporate law firms like what you did. You do that for a few years. As you said, it's high pressure. You're learning a lot. You're really learning all about, you know, the law and the legal system and how that fits into, into corporations. Um, and what were you thinking? Were you thinking, I'm going to be here for 10 years and make partner, or this is a stepping stone? I'm going to do this for a little while and then, and then go work in some other capacity. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was totally the prestige trap, right? It's yeah. like, you know, you're, it's, it's big name, big money. Uh, you don't have to ask yourself too many questions about your career. It's just like there's this path, this super competitive path up, up, up the pyramid. Right. And you just you're you know, you go to college and like everything that you've done before kind of there's this, there's always this path, like try to get the best grades, try to go to the best school, try to get to the best firm. And, you know, the, when I left law school to go work at, at this great firm, Solvon Cromwell, uh, like fantastic people, fantastic firm. I was very much on the like prestige path. Like that's what I was optimizing for. But I, I didn't ask myself if I really loved doing it. As a matter of fact, I had never asked myself the question what I really loved doing. Uh, until that point in my life, like really in a, like in a long-term thinking way. Um, you could say I was, I was a little bit late in, in thinking about that. So I did, I did one year at the firm and I'm, I'm bilingual French. So, uh, and I have a lot of family in France and, and I, I needed to be you know, close to family for a little bit. The firm was fantastic. They let me actually move to, I was in the New York office for a little bit. Then they let me move to the Paris office earlier than they generally let people transfer. I was doing M&A work. You know, uh, even though the financial crisis was beginning, I was actually working on, on a really interest, interesting matter. But I very quickly realized, and it took me like six to nine months to, to realize, I just looked at the partners. Who, who, these people are the best at their job. Right? They're the best at what they do. And I didn't want to be them. Just like, I just had no interest in, 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 in being what they did. I actually enjoyed the legal work day-to-day that I was doing. I just, it was, you know, like 100 hours a week. So, you know, you realize you can't do that forever. But I looked at what the partners did and I was like, I don't, I don't think that's what I want to spend the rest of my life doing. And that was for me, like a, just a big epiphany. You know, if you, if you look at the best of something and you don't want to be that person and you don't love it as much as they do, like you just don't wake up loving the work, you're, you're never going to be as successful as they are. There's just nothing you can do. And, you know, I, I'm pretty wired for, for impact and success. And so I was like, wow, I'm not going to be able to be just a great lawyer and, and to provide great services to my clients because I just, I don't love it and I don't want to be that person. Like, what am I doing here? Um, uh, and that's made the rest of my life super easy. Uh, 
like uh, after that, that's I, I would say like my path has become you know much much clearer because then it's just a path about finding finding what you enjoy doing and and what you care about being known at excelling at right. It's not about whether your friends think you're on, like on a really great path or it's not it's not like the name of the firm that matters as much. It's like those things kind of go by the wayside. Yeah, yeah, Jean, I really like your story. I can relate to it. I did the same thing. I worked in investment banking and I was chasing that prestige and, and, and what other people valued really like other people put a high amount of importance and ego on, on a job like that. And then this funny thing happens is you get that job and you're working in it. And then, yeah, like, as you said, something shifts and you realize that this, this isn't what's right for you. And just like you, I didn't know what was right. So that's when I went to business school. So fine. You realized this isn't quite right. What'd you do? Uh, yeah, so I, I didn't have a plan initially. So I, you know, I, I was the, the good thing about the good thing about law is it does pay you quite well, right? So um, and it pays you especially well, actually, if you're seconded to a to a foreign office. So I had I had a bunch of money in the bank, like enough that I didn't have to worry for like uh, you know a year to pay two months about about you know day to day living. So I thought I would actually just kind of ask myself the questions that probably I should have asked myself, you know, a decade earlier, um, or, or the kind of questions that you, you probably sound like you asked yourself when you're, when you're going to business school and figuring out what you're going to be really interested in. And, you know, I did, I started talking to my friends about it. Frankly, I started talking to some of my friends from the, the people I was close to who knew me the best from college and, 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 and from law school and just trying to get some, some perspective on, on, on what they thought I, I would enjoy doing and, and so on and so forth. And I put a lot of value. I think before I get to this at some point in the conversation about like what networking means to me and, and what having, why it's important, why people and, and, and kind of opening yourself up to them can is kind of, in my opinion, critical to, to eventual success. So you know, I had those conversations and, and my friends started putting me in touch with people who they thought were doing interesting things. And so one of the, one of my friends put me in touch with someone who was doing a startup in Paris in the vacation rental space. Uh, this was very, this is like still like VRBO and HomeAway are really, really doing a good job with vacation rentals. And Airbnb is kind of really early, like starting to happen. Like, you know, it's like you, you hear about them being, being talked about like uh, just a little bit. And this person was writing software that allowed, the, the startup was basically writing software that allowed uh, homeowners and managers of properties to sync their calendar between the various like websites that they use to list their apartments uh, for rental. And you guys know, Paris is a huge vacation rental market, even at the time, right? Like there's lots of Americans, for example, like Russians, Brits are going there for a week and, and they're going as a family and the hotels are too expensive and there aren't that many hotels actually in Paris. And so the prices are ridiculous and, and the service actually is terrible too. So, you know, they would, they, they wanted a more like, you know, home experience in Paris. So they would, they would rent these apartments. They'd go on VRBO or whatnot and find them. And so there was already like quite a lot of people who were professionally managing properties. There was a bunch of agencies that, that were doing this, but it was really hard for them to sync calendars, to figure out like when cleaners come and, and all that. And, and uh, this guy, Sean, was building this company, it's called Kigo, um, in the space. Uh, and I, you know, he was introduced to me by a friend and I kind of talked to him and I was like, wow, this sounds, this sounds pretty cool. And we talked for a little bit and I, I made a really tiny angel investment and I just kept in touch with him. And at some point, he, he, he was like, you know, he needed someone to help with uh, um, 
kind of some growth, what we call today growth hacking, just like getting more people to come to the website and to sign up and try the product. And, and I was, you know, I was like, Hey, I, I, I know how to code. Like, you know what I mean? Like I've done it for a bit, but I know how to code. Uh, like I'll just help you out. Right. And I only did it. I only helped out for a couple of months, but I, I did a couple of things. I, you know, like I added a, a bunch of like AB testing software. I was playing with landing pages, trying to make the self-surf flow more, more, more intuitive. I just had a blast doing it. I mean, I really just, I just, I felt like I could go from an idea in my head to a solution really quickly. And it just reminded me of all the things that I'd loved about, you know, being a programmer when I was younger, just like the problem solving of it, the creativity of it, and, and like the really quick cycle between um, what you do and, and seeing a result. Um, and then it, it just went from this, you know, I, I got that feeling. I was like, it, made, it started to feel like, hey, I want to do this again. I want to just have this quick impact. Uh, you know, how else can I have it? Um, and then, then another friend of mine, um, this, this, this friend called Yoshiki, uh, who runs this, um, this company called Applied Academics in New York, he, he needed someone to help him build like backtesting systems and finance to basically like backtest um, like potential trading strategies. I, I can't talk too much about Applied Academics. It's an awesome company, but uh, I don't think I'm, you know, uh, I can't tell you a ton about it. I had literally, this was someone that I'd been very close friends and that when I was a, when I was in, in college, he'd studied finance. He went on to get uh, a PhD in finance. He'd worked at uh, some big banks uh, like as a trader and then had started kind of this company on his own. He just knew me as someone who was like, like intelligent. It was a good coder and his company was more relationship based and he needed someone to like work on some of the technical things, just trusted me to build something that frankly, I wasn't really qualified to build at the time. Right. And, you know, I figured out how to do it. Right? I read a lot. I worked hard. Uh, and that was, um, you know, it was like another one of those where, yeah, you can, you can, I can solve these problems for this person. I can help, you know, make something that has real value. And I ended up staying there for, you know, uh, working with, with him for, for a few years, uh, like two and a half, almost three years. Um, and by then I was sure that I loved the engineering. Like it just, I, by then, I, I knew that the problem solving is what I wanted to do. And but what was clear to me is like the the best medium to do that is not is not finance, right? Like at the end of the day, the most important person at Applied Economics would never be the engineer, right? It, it's it would always be the person who's coming up with the idea initially. But like it's it's a very you know working for hedge funds is a very relationship based business, right? And so I was like, I want to work somewhere where the the founders or the CEO or you know, the people who are driving the most value are like myself. Um, and, and then I did the first kind of job search I've ever done, which is I, I decided that, that, you know, that meant a, a company where the leadership looked like me. Like I've studied kind of the same things that I did, by which I mean computer science as an undergrad, had a very engineering outlook on life and on like problem solving. Um, and I got lucky again. So every, everything that I've ever done, except for applying to law school, will turn out to have been from someone that I'd met. So I, you know, I'd, I'd met someone who was going to Kellogg at the time, um, and this person's uh, husband was an engineer at, at, at Dropbox. And so I was just, like looking at our companies to apply to. I reached out to him, and he was like, oh, well, you know, you have a really unconventional like, kind of background, right? And, you know, we generally don't hire people who haven't worked at, you know, other top five companies or just graduated from MIT top of their class or something like that. But he knew me well enough that he invited me to this thing that Dropbox does called Hack Week which is basically a week where the entire company 
like writes code for fun, uh, but they invite guests who get to work on projects with uh, with the Dropboxers. And so he invited me to that week. You know, I went. It was I think in I think it was like in, in January of 2013. Uh, I met a whole bunch of people. It was I had a blast. Uh, and then like a few weeks later, I emailed them and I was like, you know, I, I think I want to work with with people like you. Like, how do how do we how do we make that happen? Um, and to the great credit, so I, I, I interviewed at a whole, whole bunch of other companies at the same time. Most of the interviews, honestly, I got through, again, through people that I, that I knew because I don't think anyone would have looked at my resume at the time and, you know, would have decided to give me an interview. Uh, but yeah, to their great credit of, 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 of Dropbox, they, they give me a job offer, even though, you know, frankly, like, I, I don't think I did that well at the interviews or anything like that. I just, Something had happened when I went to Hack Week where they felt like I would be someone they wanted to work with. Um, um, yeah, so that's how, I, that's how I got into what I'm doing now. That was the path. And I, I, it's hard to say for me that it's easy for someone to replicate. But, you know, the point was as soon as I knew what I wanted, is like I could tell which opportunities matched it and which didn't. And maybe I did get very lucky that some of the friends that I knew were connected in, in the world that is now either, you know, fintech or um, or Silicon Valley, but um, and once you know what you want, it's hard for things to get in the way. You know, as long as you you have to make trade-offs, right? You have to be willing to get paid less. You have to be willing to move. You know, all that stuff. Like, you know, I moved from Paris to New York, Chicago. You know, eventually here to, you know, here to SF. You know, uh, I had to make new friends in the new cities. Like, there's a lot of things right, that you kind of sacrifice, and and the sacrifices are it's a very personal choice. You know, it's 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 what I was willing to optimize for. Um, yeah. So does that kind of explain how I got it? I can tell you more about, you know, how I got the plaid and Dropbox. I think that's, you know, we might as well just like finish the story if you want. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I'd love to hear the rest of the story. I'm also super curious about how, you know, you talked about kind of the prestige trap and trying to get a job that other people value and not necessarily yourself. And then it was awesome and so cool to hear how you found out what was right for you. But then there's this other kind of, uh, I don't want. I don't know. It's 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 a trap. But like people get so caught up in comparing their careers to other people's careers, and they're like, you know, like I started investment banking two years. I had another job for two years, and then I started at Ground Zero in a bank. And people were two years younger than me, and I felt like kind of people kind of like look down on that. And it's like it's never really too late to figure out what's right for you. I mean, even if you you know went to law school and then said, oh, I want to do something that I have zero background in and just completely start over, if that's what's right for you, then that's what you have to do. Is that how you look at it? Well, I, so I agree with that sentiment, like, for me. But that's because I value, like, I value professional success immensely. And I wouldn't, I would definitely not force that, you know, that utility function on, on a lot of, people that I know and have a tremendous amount of respect for. But, but yes, I think if you, if you know that what you work on and, and it like being truly fulfilling to you, like day in and day out is what, is what matters. And you're not in that position, you know, I, yes, if you can hit the reset button and try again, I, I think the opportunities are there. That being said, there's lots of limiting factors, right? Like, you know, it's not like, just, just think of just, I, I had enough money in the bank to do it. Like, that's not true of quite a lot of people, right? Like, uh, you know, would I recommend going into a huge amount of, like, college loans to do it or, or, you know, grad school loans to do a career switch? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I'd have to really know the person well enough to recommend that. You know, I'm the success story, 
right? Because I, I do all these switches and I successfully switched from like engineering into law and I get to a good law school and a good firm. And then I switch again and I have this like two year period that's not very good from a financial perspective, but eventually I, you know, I, I end up, you know, landing at, at Applied Academics and then eventually at Dropbox and that ends really well. Like that's great, but I, I can't speak to the non-success stories. And I, I don't mean to be a downer. Like I, I, I believe in that mentality for myself, but there are lots of, there are lots of factors at play that make life difficult. Um, I agree. I believe in the mentality too. That that's just that's why I bring it up. So that's that's good to hear. Okay, so Jean, let's let's finish the story. Let's get let's get to Plaid. Yeah. So I mean, the so the the first learning is I really loved engineering, and and that's what got me to Dropbox. And I joined Dropbox as um, just a, we call it Gen Suite, like a generalist engineer, uh, and. At Dropbox, I realized quickly that I, I had developed, unbeknownst to me, I developed a good skill set around um, like aligning people around projects and goals. I had a pretty good nose, apparently, for impact and, and kind of finding high ROI projects. I enjoyed seeing other people be successful almost as much as I enjoyed myself being successful. You know, I enjoyed seeing them grow and, and, and work on projects that they found fulfilling. And what I realized at Dropbox at the time is the company when I joined was just a little bit over 200 people. Is that there was like a there was a lack of management, right? There was a lack of people who were interested in in the softer side of things because the recruiting had been very heavily focused on people had really really good hard skills, um, and I had really good hard skills, but I, for whatever reason, like appreciated a lot of the softer dimensions. And so the kind of the some of the some of the leads there kind of recognize that and, and quickly put me in a position to, to become a manager and lead teams and eventually lead other managers. Um, and, you know, I, I realized I just had more kind of more leverage doing that uh, at the time. I could still go dive deeply technically when I wanted to, but I, I just enjoyed making teams successful. Uh, and it, it's interesting in Silicon Valley today, I think there's like a, um, there's like a, so, so you think about, I don't know how, how familiar you are with kind of, I'm, if I, I don't want to throw too many like buzzwords around, but there's like, you know, there's a management philosophy that is older for like more established company, but there actually isn't a great management philosophy uh, for what you need to be successful as a manager at a fast moving startup. They're starting to be, there's like some speakers are talking about it, there's some decent blogs, but like, how, how, are you, how are you supposed to be a really effective manager at an org that's doubling its headcount year over year? Like, what are, what are the skills there? Because they're very different than being successful manager at a really, really large company. Um, and so I, I started also just enjoying the intellectual aspects of, of figuring that out. Um, it felt really high lever. Like if I figured it out and I could take the managers who I work with and kind of socialize that with them, then they too can be super successful. And that's, that's good for Dropbox, right? That's good for the company. Um, and so I, I did that. I did that for, you know, four years uh, and it was a great ride. And at the end of it, I, um, you know, I realized that, I was never I was never going to be at the top of Dropbox. Right? I was I was never going to build the engineering culture that I wanted and the company that I wanted. I needed to be somewhere where I, I could start with something that was not yet fully formed. And there's always ego in life, right? But the ego is that I could do it better. I could build a, a better company, a better engineering culture. Um, you know, uh, and and that's what led me to Plaid. And, and Plaid, you know, it, it kind of matches a bunch of the the mission things that I like and a lot of the interests that I've had in the past, right? It's a, it's a fintech company. And, you know, before Dropbox, I was working in fintech. And so there's like, 
there's aspect where it, 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 it plays to something that I've enjoyed and I feel like I have more domain expertise on. Uh, and so that, that made me, that was one of the reasons I came here. Like, you know, the second reason is uh, I, I've, over, as I've gotten older, I've become more mission aligned. So once you figure out what you like doing, like tactically, like day to day, right, then the next question is like, towards what end do you want to apply that thing? Right, especially if you're an engineer, you can, you, you can, you, you, or like say you're an engineer or an account, you can be an accountant at any company. Every company in the U.S. needs an account. Like, you know, you get to choose. Like, what kind of company do I want to be an account at? And same thing with an engineer. Like, well, every company needs to, they need, they need technology to make like their processes better, to reach customers in an easier way and so on and so forth. Like, how do you pick, right? And, and I think what really resonated with me was like the mission alignment of Plaid. It felt like the only part of, like one of the remaining parts of people's lives that hadn't, Gotten a lot of the benefits from from the, the wave of innovation of the last you know 20 years, like what's finance? Like you know I was still using the same bank that I was out of college. It wasn't any easier to get a loan or to save for retirement or to get life insurance or to do all these things than it was before. But in fintech, you were starting to see kind of companies like Venmo and like Square Cash and like Coinbase. It was like this innovation was happening. And as I researched more about it, you know Plaid was a, was behind a lot of those companies. And so it was kind of the best of both worlds. I could work in fintech, but build things for other engineers or people that I have high empathy for. You know, the team was very small. I joined, it was, you know, the company was 55. The engineering team was like 23, 24. You know, it was at that formative stage. Uh, the more I met people on the team, the more I realized that I kind of, I would enjoy working with them. Like they were thoughtful, mindful, smart, driven, um, yeah, and and that's how I ended up here. And and the the truth about the Dropbox journeys, right? When you there's always that realization where you you can no longer expand your horizons like you want to somewhere, right? And even though Dropbox is a great company, I love the engineering, I love the people. I was I was never gonna be able to fix some of the structural things about about the culture and the way that it ran. Not that it's bad. It's just not you know the way I, I would have done it. Um, and it's been it's been a good year at Plaid. You know, we can we can check in in a year again. You can you can talk to me. But so far, it's kind of it's exceeded expectations, and it's hard. You know, I don't. I, I said I think earlier in the interview, I was like I was looking forward to spending the next five years of my life on this. I actually never asked myself the question, "What will I be doing in five years?" But I definitely don't ask myself if I want to do anything else and work here, which is you know that's a that is ultimate luxury. Uh, I don't know many people who can say that. So uh, yeah. That's an incredible feeling. I mean, it's it's an incredible story. And you said there's some luck in there. There's definitely some hard work and just being able to seize on the opportunity. But you did it. So congratulations. And yeah. Okay, Jean, as always, I ask for the piece of advice from the guest. You, this whole podcast has been pretty advice focused, but I'd love to get it uh, distilled down into, into one or two things that you think has really uh, helped you in, in your career on your journey. I don't know how to replicate this, but I would say like the thing I'm most proud of actually is the set of people that I've surrounded myself with. And the reason I'm most proud of them is I feel like most of them are much better at what I do than I am. Um, and every, literally every step of, of my career, every step of the way it was, it was through someone that I knew that I got the thing that I wanted. Right. Uh, even Plaid, I got Plaid from a friend of mine who was working at a company that shared an investor with Plaid. I, I didn't get it. Like when I went to talk to a large number of other companies, right? But Plaid, I got through my network. And, and I think people have this view of networking often, which is like you go and 
you go and you, you kind of do, you force socialize, right? Or you reach out to people who went to the same schools as you or worked at some of the previous employers. That's definitely a part of it. But if I have one piece of advice is like, you, if you can get people, whatever they do to really respect you in the, in the interactions that they have with you, even if those interactions don't correlate with what you eventually want your life to be, like those people will open with the next set of doors in your life. Like if people think you're great at what you do and they really respect the way you approach them and your problems, um, th- that is what, you know, that, what, what, that is what makes the next step happen. And, and I think that's true of me and that's true of a lot of the people that I work with in a way that I didn't realize when I was like 20 or 25 or even 30. I was so focused on, you know, just like, like kind of excelling at the, the problem itself that I was solving, you know, like the hard work, like, like being a lawyer or writing code. Um, but you know, once you focus on, on making and getting people to, to really respect you, uh, and your approach to things and then kind of magic happens. So I wish I'd had that lesson when I was in my twenties, my early twenties. Cause I think I, I, you know, I thought you know, if you can get A's alone, then you can be successful in work alone. And that just, that is never true. Right. There's much more to it and authentic, genuine relationships help. I've heard that a lot on this podcast. I, I really like that piece of advice, Sean. Well, thanks a lot for having me, Alex. I appreciate the time. Okay, thanks for coming on. This was really fun speaking with you. Let's do it again soon. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps. Thanks. Thanks.